I'm JP Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hello! It's me, Thursday! No, no, I'm not. I'm not doing this. No? Oh no. no. Okay, uh, I, that's about as long as I can do the Mario voice. So yeah. Ugh. Yeah, so, I am. Yeah. I am not your Princess Peach. This is this, this my, is not working. My princess is in another castle. Yeah, your princess is in a castle far, far away. Ah. Uh. I put her there. Chained her to a pipe. Next to a bomb. It's <laughs> it's a horrible situation. Uh, oh, well. So, I know what you're thinking, dear listener. Why are we talking about the Super Mario Brothers movie? Surely Disney cannot own this movie. Surely Disney cannot have any connection to I mean, Mario it says franchise. Illumination. It's got the little minion right there. <laughs> so, we have talked about a lot of the studios that disney's owned over the few years we've been doing this podcast we talked about walt disney animation walt disney pictures pixar marvel studios uh lucasfilm muppet studios the weinstein company for a while there (laughs) yeah 20th century fox we've talked about a lot of them but there's a few we haven't talked about yet one of them is hollywood pictures So Hollywood Pictures was created in the late 80s by Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg because they wanted to increase the output of Disney movies. And, you know, much much like Touchtone, kind of focus on movies that don't necessarily fit the Disney branding. Nowadays, they don't care. They'll release 12 Disney movies a year. Can you can can we just go back and be nostalgic for a time? When somebody thought there weren't enough Disney movies. Yeah. Okay, okay. Nostalgia over, nostalgia over. <laughs> so, yeah. And Hollywood Pictures kind of dissolved right about the time Eisner was outed and Bob Iger got put in. Yeah, so a lot of things changed, you know, so there. But Hollywood Pictures has a lot of good movies. And the fact that we're starting... Discussing the, the the library of Hollywood pictures puts a lot more on our table for potential future episodes. Like we've talked, we've mentioned one of them, Arachnophobia, the hand that rocks the cradle. That would make a great Halloween episode. Yeah, their their most commercially successful film. Do you know what it was? The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. Yes, I see the dead people. Film that gave us M Night Shyamalan. I will never forgive them. And, you know, it gave us Polly Shore because it also gave us Encino Man and Son-in-Law and In the Army Now. Yeah, it also gave us the Joy Luck Club, which is such an incredible movie. And Dangerous Minds. Yeah. And uh, the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd movie. 
I am the law. Which would eventually get us a good Judge Dredd movie with Carl Urban. Yeah. Who knew that you don't take your helmet off because this is the way. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, when a Super Mario Brothers movie was being put in production, Disney bought the distribution rights and released it under Hollywood Pictures. So, technically, Disney owns this movie. It is not available anywhere. Like, not to stream. We've tried. Yeah. This is why physical media is so important. We keep saying it. Preserve your physical media. So, let's talk about Mario. The most well-known video game character of all time. Even people who don't play video games... Know who Super Mario is. One of my friends asked me to help him get a tattoo. He had never gotten a tattoo before, and I have several. So he uh, came to me to ask for help on where and and how to go procure one. And so I took him to my tattoo artist, and he asked for a tattoo of 8-Bit Mario. Hmm. So, yeah, it, it was a really well-done tattoo, too. Hmm. Even if you didn't play the Mario games at this time, you at least were aware of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show with, you know, the legendary Captain Lou Albano do the Mario. So, yeah, Mario was, like, super popular and and had worldwide exposure thanks to a little movie called The Wizard. And thanks to the... I love the power glove. It's so bad. Yeah, one of us had to say that line. (laughs) (laughs) I beat you to it. So because of the popularity of the wizard, Nintendo was like, hey, we can uh, we can take these characters that we own and we can put them in movies and make a lot of money. So the first one on the block was going to be their most popular character in Mario. The thing about the Mario movie is that the story behind the scenes of this movie is so much more interesting than what we got on screen. Because, like, they went through so many writers, so many directors, so many types of film that they wanted this to make, and, like, Nintendo wanted creative control over the movie. I don't think they got it based on what we saw. Yeah. But they also wanted to attempt to Appeal to people who've never played video games. And which I think was... As we talked about in our <laughs> Fantastic Four last week, that's where you always go wrong. I think it's something that they learn later. I think everyone involved in this movie would understand, like, if you had just made a movie that appealed to the fan base that of the franchise you're making a movie of and just make a good movie on that the audience will come and we've kind of seen that we've kind of seen that with the mario movie now as of this recording neither one of us have seen the movie yeah the new the new movie that is currently in theaters yeah yeah the chris pratt mario movie Uh still still not sold on pratt And nobody is. I I will tell you, while neither of us have seen the movie, I have read reviews and heard reviews from people I trust who have seen the movie. 
And the most common thing that everybody says is the the movie itself, the plot is pretty decent for, you know, a kid's movie about Mario. Um, the visuals are stunning, is what people are telling me. And from the trailer and the footage that have been released, I can believe it. The voice acting is just not there because it's all stunt casted and they say that other than jack black who everyone seems to universally love as bowser um they said that everybody else just kind of seemed to have walked into the booth and went like hello i am character these are my lines and that was it this is a dumb movie for kids i'm not putting on a special voice for it yeah, but Jack Black. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, mean, Jack Black. People, no matter what role he's in, he just kind of shows up and delivers. People are talking <laughs> about the song that he sings in the movie potentially being nominated for an Oscar. And it's um, just him. I haven't heard it yet because I'm trying. I'm trying not to like watch anything from it until I see the film, which I'm mm -hmm. hoping to because I do want to see the film. It looks excellent it just sounds very bad like I mean, you know I mean, what i mean audially yeah i mean it, it just, sounds very bad there's even like like there's a lot of uh voice actors that i follow on social media and they're like the same way like like hollywood really needs to stop stunt casting these movies and hire actual voice actors and these movies will be better and i agree I yeah i mean we've we've kind of been saying that basically since you know, one or two episodes into this podcast when we talked about the stunt casting of Robin Williams. Like, it worked very well because Robin Williams is a good actor and he gives his all to a part. But, and you do find that, we, we've we talked about it every time we've talked about one of the stunt casted uh, animated films. That there are certain actors who cross over very well and they respect voice acting as an art form. But sad to say, a lot of on camera actors do not respect the medium in the same way. And they see it as an easy paycheck. They don't see it as an extra skill set they have to do. Um, and that is sad. Because I it mean, is its own particular acting talent. Like, like, most recently, they announced a new Ninja Turtle animated movie, which I originally was kind of interested in. And all they did was just say... Actor name playing character. Actor name playing character. And it's like, tell me the plot. Tell me what this movie's about. Tell me anything. But or it, and we see this with a lot of animated movies where the mo where the big focus of the advertising is popular actor is character. And they want to sell it on well. People aren't going to want to watch cartoons, but they will watch this cartoon if we have popular celebrity in the movie. 
Yeah, and uh, I think that's what Guillermo del Toro has been talking about in in trying to convince people that animation is just another way of filmmaking. That it's you know, in in the same way that you have a different skill set, you know? And that was what he was trying to show with Pinocchio, is that a lot of people were saying, like, Pinocchio wasn't really a kid's movie. Like, well, it, it wasn't. It was a Guillermo del Toro movie. Like, have you ever seen a Guillermo del Toro movie? Like, just because it was a stop-motion Guillermo del Toro movie. <laughs> I mean, we've talked about one on this very podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't an R-rated Guillermo del Toro movie. You know, it was it was toned down a little more. Um, and there are, you could definitely show it to a younger audience. Um, so yes, you could, you could say it was a family film, perhaps, but it wasn't for like seven year olds, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because that wasn't the intended audience, but everybody just saw Pinocchio and they were like, Oh, this will be perfect to show my five-year-old. And it dealt with some dark themes because people keep forgetting that fairy tales are dark. And they forget that mostly because of Disney. So, you know. (laughs) We're a Disney podcast. Kind of can blame Uncle Walt there. (laughs) Yeah, we're a Disney podcast, but we're not afraid to dunk on the mouse every now and then. Yeah, I mean, you know... uh, Walt did did help with with that perception that you know we need to you know brighten up the the darkness of of fairy tales um you know Guillermo himself is a Disney fan but he's very much a let's spend all of our time in the haunted mansion Disney fan yeah uh, <laughs> I'm still mad we're never gonna get that del Toro haunted mansion movie Mm. I want to visit that universe. I want to visit the universe where where Doug Jones is the the hatbox ghost. Um, but back to back to uh, the Mario Brothers as as fun as that little uh, jaunt was. Uh, yeah, this this is when when you heard this movie was coming out. Because we were the perfect age for this movie. We had grown up on these video games. I mean, I know I did. I had an NES. I did not get an NES till much later. I think around Mario 3 was the first Mario game I played. But I saw the cartoon. I was a fan of the Super Mario Brothers Super Show. So you so, got it through the Wrestling Connection in Lou Albano. Yeah. I got it through somebody. I mean, we were we were poor you know i've i've talked about that before so we got gifted when the SNES came out a family friend upgraded cuz they had more money than us they loaned us for years their old NES because they upgraded and they wouldn't need it anymore that was the old stuff so i got kind of the hand me down NES and all their NES games Um, because they were playing the new hotness with the SNES Mm -hmm. so 
I was on my NES kick, and I was always a little behind on video games because that's kind of how I got them, was either going over to a friend's house or when somebody would upgrade their system, they would let me borrow on long-term loan their old system because they wouldn't be playing the older games anymore. Now you get them through a Steam sale. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now I buy everything through Steam sale, and it is amazing. My my library of Steam games is incredible because I buy everything for, like, $1.29 on sale. <laughs> <laughs> but the um, the thing is that uh, I didn't buy, like, a brand new video game system until the Dreamcast came out in, like, 99. So, <laughs> but... At the time, I was very much into uh, Super Mario and Tetris because that was what was on the NES. And now there's a Tetris movie. And now there's a Tetris movie, which I still haven't seen. But um, yeah, I'm I'm hoping to see it very soon because uh, that movie looks amazing and I've heard incredible things about it. Um, Unfortunately, this is not an Apple podcast. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, because I have very few good things to say about apple but the um i was so excited when i heard they were making a super mario movie because i loved playing super mario for the nes and then i was also really excited because bob hoskins was in it and he had done roger rabbit and he had just been in hook as well and i loved both of those movies and i was like oh man i really like him you know, and he looks like Mario. Like he admitted, yeah. like like he he had the, the the figure. He was a round guy. He had a mustache. He, you know, he he. Uh, I I would learn that he actually was a plumber's assistant for a short time. So he had actually had some plumbing expertise. Although, from what I, uh, according to the story, he was a plumber's assistant for three weeks and then accidentally sent his sent sent. Uh, set the plumber's shoes on fire with a flamethrower. <laughs> Accidentally. <laughs> eh. But so, yeah, so Bob Hoskins had, you know, he was, you know, it, it fit Mario. And also, since my expertise on Mario was the cartoon, I was already used to that Brooklyn accent that Lou Albano would, would use it in, in, in the cartoon. And, you know, Bob Hoskins in the movie, but it worked. Yeah, and we weren't really... Mario didn't sound like this yet. Yeah, we weren't accustomed to the Charles Martinet kind of voice yet. To us at the time, Mario wasn't that, like... I mean, Charles Martinet took over in roughly the same time, but it wasn't widespread. It was you a know? typing game. It was a typing game when he started. Yeah, it was, it was the Mario typing game that he started in, which came out just before this movie. But to our generation, at the time this movie came out, okay, like now... We are very into that voice as well, because we've continued to love Mario, and we love Charles Martinet's Mario voice. But we, I, I never played that 
that Mario typing game at the time. Like, I'm familiar with it now. I think the first time you and I would have heard it would have been, like, Mario 64. Yeah. Um, but to us, Mario had that Brooklyn, you know, Captain Lou Albano kind of thing. So the way he appears in the movie to us would have been kind of our Mario that we were used to if you ever saw him portrayed in live action. Mm. Um, And we were still dealing with, you know, like 8 and 16-bit Mario. Mm. So any kind of guy putting on a jumpsuit and pretending to be Mario to us was that kind of gruff New York kind of dude. So this to us was perfect casting. And I think most of my friends at the time when it was like, who'd they get to play Mario? And they saw a picture of him, even if they weren't familiar uh, with him from like Roger Rabbit or from Hook were like, yeah, that's that's how I pictured Mario, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that's real-life Mario right there. Um, John Leguizamo as Luigi, I think, was kind of where a lot of people were like, what? Why is this Latino guy playing an Italian? Which he actually talks about when the movie, when he first got uh, talked into doing the movie, as, as he would say that he's kind of, at the time, he was said something like, he was kind of tired of Italians being hired to play Latinos, specifically mentioning Al Pacino in Scarface. So it was, in his mind, it was time to flip the script and have a Latino play an Italian. Yeah, and also, they kind of play it off in the movie as, like, Mario kind of adopted Luigi or something. They mentioned that... that Mario raised Luigi. Like, like the uh, the implications is that Luigi never knew his parents, and that Mario was the only family he had, implying that Mario is much older than Luigi. Yeah, so you you get the feeling that like maybe they had different fathers, and then the mother died, or. The implication, I mean, there are other lines in the movie that imply that they did have the same father and same mother. We never, all we know from all, again, just from dialogue alone, it's Luigi was raised by Mario, their parents are gone. Because he mentions, you know, where'd you learn that from, Mario? Well, dad taught us. And dad said, blah, 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 blah. And then Luigi says, yeah, like you always say, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. It's. The the thing is, is that he he says Luigi says to Daisy in their first on their first date, like, "Oh, you never knew your parents either." So I have a when I see that in the movie, like him and Daisy bonding over the fact that she was an orphan left on a doorstep. That to me, watching this movie always gave me the sense of like, 
even if that wasn't exactly Luigi's story, he felt real close to that. Because he never knew his mom and dad either. He he never knew his mom and dad either. So I have a feeling that it's it's one of those things like maybe even if they did have the same parents, the parents died so young that uh, died when he was so young that he doesn't actually remember them and you just have the kind of memories of like somebody's told me about this person so much I feel like I know them. Mm, yeah. So I, I mean even age-wise from the actors, Hoskins age-wise could be could play Leguizamo's father. So it's possible that he was all, you know, if we go into the universe, Mario was a much older, possibly teenage or in his 20s when Luigi was born. So yeah, so, it, tur- it turns out there's about 20, 22 years between the actors in real which life. Makes, which, you know, you can you can kind of paste that story together that Mario was born and, and he was already an adult and the, and the parents decide, hey, let's let's have another kid since our first one is grown and empty nest syndrome and whatnot. And, oh, here comes baby Luigi and then off-screen tragic accident because this is still a Disney movie, so we need the dead parents. Yeah. <laughs> this is probably the only thing in this movie that really marks it as a Disney movie. <laughs> it's the main characters have dead parents. Actually, all three main characters have at least one dead parent, as yeah. far as we can tell, because... We we see Daisy's mom at the beginning of the movie. Also played then, by Samantha Mantis. Yeah. And then she is just gone. We we never really know what happened to her, I don't think. But I, she, I, I will give the I she's will give attacked. Them yeah. By by Koopa and then the, the avalanche crushes her. But I will give them, you know, they, they, they gave Samantha Mantis a wig of a different hair color and they gave her different makeup. I didn't know it was actually Samantha Mantis till I looked at the cast and it says Samantha Mantis as Daisy and the Queen. Yeah. And you only really see her her face for like half a second. So if, like me, you're not that great with faces... <laughs> um, yeah, you're you're not really gonna clock who who it is uh, so, that so, well. So yeah, to get back to the story behind the scenes though. So okay, Nintendo wanted a more quote adult take on Mario to get to bring in the audience that doesn't know who Mario is, who doesn't play video games, because broader audience means more money, which as we said was not the best way to take this movie. The original attempt was to do was to have a director, Greg Beeman, do the movie, who at the time was famous for the Corey and Corey movie, License to Drive. Remember the two Coreys? We do. Corey yeah. Feldman, Corey Haim. I mean, I dare you, I dare you to find a millennial who grew up in the U.S. who doesn't remember those two dudes. So yeah, License to Drive had come out and it did well, and he was they were going for him. To have that vibe. But then he did a movie called Mom and Dad Save the World with John Lovitz. And it bombed. So they didn't want him anymore. 
Hollywood is so fickle, man. Yeah. So they went to a different a different team, the husband and wife team of Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, who at the time was famous for being the creators of Max Headroom. Which really explains why this movie looks the way it is. I mean, partially, yeah. I mean, it doesn't really explain all the dinosaurs. Yeah. It explains the cyberpunky aesthetic, but... Mm -hmm. I'm still wondering how we got the dinosaurs... I guess they they looked at the turtle. They looked at Koopa and didn't see turtle and saw dinosaur. Koopa is a turtle. His henchmen are turtles. Turtles, not dinosaurs. Yeah, I just I but mean also, they got they got mushrooms, right? Sort of. I think it was because that at the time this movie was being produced, Super Mario World had just come out and that did take place in a dino world. So they wanted to uh, kind of synergize with that. Well, and also dinosaurs were really big at the time because this was, you know, this is the same year that Jurassic Park came out. And when you realize this was the same year that Jurassic Park came out and you look at the special effects in this movie, you really want to punch a wall. Just saying. Yeah, and, you know, Yoshi. Well, yeah, okay, Yoshi, yeah, but, come on, it's Yoshi, and that's how they do Yoshi? Okay, that's, that's, let's just get to my my first and biggest beef with this movie. Mm -hmm. I get that they were aiming for a older audience. Mm-hmm. I get, and I respect the creators of Max Headroom here. I love Max Headroom. Max Headroom is just one of the coolest things ever. But the thing about everything Mario is everything Mario is just cute. It's bright colors. It's it's fantasy. It, it's it, look at the look. Even if you haven't seen the movie, look at the trailer. For the item for the animated Mario movie, that is what the games look like. It is so exactly what the games look like. That trailer blew my mind until Mario opened his stupid little mouth. Um, I can't wait for that movie to be available available digitally so that all of the fan dubs can just happen. Because that movie is going to be awesome. Because they're going to replace every voice except Jack Black. <laughs> and it's going to be an amazing movie. And I cannot wait. I but, mean, there are in person. I, I can't wait for them to have Toad's talk like this. Toad's yeah, going to no, talk no. like this for the whole movie. Pe- people have already started doing it to like the trailer and the clips and everything. And it is wonderful. And I love it. And bless them. I cannot wait for full movie dubs. But... <laughs> The the thing about the the original film in the 90s was, like, you look at a Mario game, and even in, you know, 8-bit, 16-bit, it is, it's so aggressively cute. All of the merchandise is cute. It is just, 
so kawaii. You know, it's it's like the definition of that word. Okay, it's it's not quite Hello Kitty levels of cute, but it's getting there. And I'm not saying that you can't have cyberpunk and cuteness, because you can. I've seen it done. I kind of like that aesthetic. You know? And I get that they were like, okay, it's 90s, it's grunge, it's whatever, but, like, come on! You're gonna do Yoshi like that? No! No, we're not down with that! At least he does the tongue thing. That's yeah, about the only but, thing. That's about the only thing they get right. But it's kind of gross when that Yoshi does the tongue thing, you know? It's not adorable when that Yoshi does the tongue thing to Fiona Shaw. <laughs> who is, like, the only cute thing in this movie. Can I just point that out? Like, I forgot Fiona Shaw was in this movie, and she is a smoke show in this movie. And yeah. I do not know how to feel about that. <laughs> Until they like give her the Bride of Frankenstein hair for some reason. Yeah, I don't know what that Elsa Lancaster bit was at the end there. <laughs> that also came out of nowhere. Like, she's just a made-up character for this movie. She is the hottest thing in this movie. What? <laughs> and then at the end, they turn her into, like, an Elsa Lancaster pastiche, which... Also, question mark, because I don't remember that in any of the games. It might have shown up. I mean, my Mario knowledge is not overly extensive, but what? <laughs> Maybe if they called her Pauline. I don't know. Mario's girlfriend <laughs> should have been called Pauline in this movie. She's called Daniela in this movie. She should have been called Pauline. Yeah, I mean, the only thing this movie really did was finally solidify the fact that Luigi and Daisy were gonna become an item. Yeah, technically they haven't. They did become an item in the games. Well, eventually, but they became an item in the movie first. Yeah. Daisy had appeared in the games, but Mario that was Land, the, thing the Game about, Boy games, yeah. Yeah, but the the movie kind of made that sort of official before the games did which was the weird thing about the movie is people who had seen her in the games were like oh she's going to be Luigi's version of Princess Peach and Nintendo was like no she isn't what are you talking about what <laughs> and then when she showed up in the movie they just made her Luigi's girlfriend and then Nintendo was like yeah okay whatever she's gonna be Luigi's girlfriend, all right, fine, he called us. Now, you know, <laughs> now both Mario brothers have a princess. Yeah, whatever, we're plumbers and princesses now. Okay, fine. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and... Like, I, I, I think I, I want to go back to the beginning of these behind-the-scenes stories. Like, Morton and Janko were so... They they made these actors' lives a living hell making this movie. Constant rewrites to the point where the actors didn't even bother memorizing lines because they were getting new lines every day from the directors. 
And the only way to that to get through this movie for Hoskins and Leguizamo was to get drunk. Like these two men became alcoholics because of this movie. Yeah. It was the thing is is like for both um Bob Hoskins and for Dennis Hopper who were like both both of those guys had such expansive careers and did so many movies both you know extremely great and extremely weird for both of them they ended up saying that this movie was the only movie in their entire catalogs that they regretted making. And Leguizamo has kind of boycotted anything Mario since. Like, he will not even see the new movie because this movie has left him so traumatized because of the way the directors treated him. Yeah, and, and it wasn't just, like, those people. Like, people nearly died on this movie. Like one of the um one of the crew guys got almost got killed because there was an electrical ac- accident or something where like somebody didn't rig up um like they didn't ground some of the wires or whatever and somebody went to pull a lever on set. And it electrocuted him, and he almost died. Mm. And um, one of the stuntmen was set on fire because there's like a lot of fire in this movie. And one of the fire uh, stunts went awry, and it sparked too much, and it set a nearby stunt guy's clothing on fire. And he was nearly killed. Um, so, like, yeah, no, this movie was almost deadly for several people, it seems. And it went over budget. It went long. They were only supposed to film for 10 weeks. They ended up filming for 15. To the point where everyone involved with this movie was like, you two are done. When we finish wrapping up this movie, like they did not allow the the two directors to be in there for any of the reshoots and not in there for the editing of this movie. Everyone associated with this movie hated these two directors for how they put everyone through hell. And it kind of uh, ruined their careers because of it. <laughs> apparently, like Dennis Hopper lost his mind. One day on set, like legitimately, um, he had he had beef. Like nobody was mad at Dennis Hopper for doing this, apparently, but like Dennis Hopper just got fed up one day and grabbed the two directors and screamed at them nonstop for three hours in front of everybody. Like just shut down production for three hours. 
to scream at them for how badly they were running the production. Yeah, again, everything was getting changed on a daily basis. On top of that, two directors giving two sets of instructions to every actor. Who do you listen to? The, um, to the point that the, um, what are, what are their, their names? The two little cousin henchmen for Koopa? Iggy and Spike, who are played by, uh, Fisher Stevens, who, uh, yeah, he played Ben in the Short Circuit movies. You know him. Oh, yeah. uh, Richard Edison. Yeah, uh. Those two guys got so sick of the um of the script changes that apparently they just stopped reading the script and at one point they were just like screw it we're going to improv all our lines based on what we know of what's going on around us. So apparently most of what you see them say in the movie is just them improving based on what they think is going on around them. <laughs> And it's not bad. It fits a story. I mean, what what story there is? It's not really a deep story. Yeah, like 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 what Nintendo wanted and what some of the original scriptwriters wanted was Laurel and Hardy meets the Wizard of Oz. The idea of you know these two you know skinny guy, fat guy, and they get transported into a world of fantasy. So it. Kind of like the games are, it would have worked. And one of the writers even said that, you know, what their original idea was to was to take fantasy tropes and turn them on their head. So Shrek, ten years before Shrek. Yeah. So what, I was like, what I don't think we've even mentioned is that the first person to write the screenplay was an Oscar winner whose previous screenplay was Rain Man. And apparently his script for this original, you know, idea that was rejected long before this was so close to the same kind of idea that was Rain Man that everybody looked at it and was like, so basically you just wrote us Drain Man. (laughs) Gotta get, gotta see the princess. Gotta see the princess. <laughs> yeah, but apparently it was just basically t- two guys on a, a road trip having some kind of weird crisis about their lives or something, which Another's, is basically the plot of Rain Man. Another script was written by these people who did uh, the John Ritter movie. Stay tuned. Well, uh, that that, that would have certainly have been a choice. <laughs> Stay tuned, the John Ritter movie where he sells his soul to the devil and gets trapped in the world of television. Now, imagine that, but Mario. Yeah, I mean, there there is somewhere an alternate universe where Harold Ramis directed this movie, by the way. And apparently, like, the, the two directors we did get wanted this movie to be more like Ghostbusters. Which is I- really weird. Yeah. Like, I don't see it in this movie. Where is the folks? Like, what did they mean by that? The comedy? The supernatural stuff? Because you don't really get a lot of that. I don't know. Well, and also, like, other than 
I mean, at this point in time, what about Mario was supernatural? Like later on, you know, we get like Luigi's Luigi's Mansion? haunted mansion and yeah. stuff like that. But like, um, which would have been fine with Disney. Like, I want to see like Luigi's haunted mansion. I guess they they were talking about the comedy aspect of Ghostbusters and have more of that. But I, I don't know. I I, I don't see how this was more Ghostbusters-like for them. I gotta say that as a kid, it took me way too long to figure out why this dinosaur was screaming about fungus all the time. And then I was like, oh wait, this is supposed to be because Mario eats mushrooms in the game. Like... It was such a tenuous connection to like, oh yeah, and this they, is supposed and, to take place and, in the Mushroom Kingdom, duh. And they never eat the mushrooms. Yeah, they never eat the mushrooms. There's only one point in the movie where the mushroom like helps Mario in some sort of way. You know, like Luigi keeps going like the mushrooms are trying to communicate with us and you eventually find out why and Trust all that fungus. kind of stuff. Trust the fungus. Yes, trust the fungus and all, you know. Yeah, yeah, like, like we don't even see them in their trademark outfits till, like, the last half hour of the movie. And apparently the directors wanted them to never wear those iconic suits until, the until like, Nintendo kind of said, no, you are not making this movie until they show up in their trademark suits. And they're not even... Their their trademark suits. They kind of look like somebody. Well, they look like mechanics outfits, honestly. But it really looks to me like you told two guys, like, "Hey, remember you have to go to that Halloween party tonight." So, like, remember you have to wear a costume. And they were like, "Oh crap! What kind of Halloween costume can we wear tonight?" Well, I'm a fat guy, and you're a skinny guy. And um, I've got some red clothes, and you've got some green clothes, and we've got a couple of hats. We can go as Mario and Luigi. You know? It's like, it's somebody doing, like, closet cosplay that kind of vaguely looks like Mario and Luigi if you squint. I actually did like these outfits, even back then, and I kind of still do now. Like, it doesn't I mean, quite... it's okay, but it's not like big budget Hollywood does Mario and Luigi costume. It's your buddy has 20 minutes to put together Mario and Luigi costumes out of stuff yeah. around the house. And it's fine for that. You know, if your buddy shows up to your Halloween party and they're like, hey, we're Mario and Luigi. You're going to be like, that looks awesome, dude. Did you put that from stuff around your house? That looked awesome. Yeah, that's a cool costume. But if, like, a costume designer on your big-budget Hollywood film with the Nintendo name comes out and it's like, this is my Mario and Luigi costume, I'm going to be like, you couldn't even put an M and an L on those hats? Like, you don't have, like, some fabric paint to just write M and L on those hats? Seriously? Well, Luigi wears his hat backwards for most of the movie, so you wouldn't have seen it, but, you know. That is not the point, my dude. <laughs> the point is, stick an L on that hat. <laughs> he can still wear it backwards. There are shots where we see the back of that dude. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like we 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 talked about this before. It's what you know, production companies afraid to be true to the source material. And, yeah, you, you know, know that some some person who never played a video game was like, but why would you put an L on your hat? Because his name is Luigi. That's what we do. Yeah, because that's what the fans expect from the character. But it's also a situation where you have two of the most popular comic book movies of the era, the Tim Burton Batman and the first Ninja Turtle movie, was that dark and gritty, and we're going to make this, you know, it's not, this, this ain't no cartoon. It's We're not going to do Adam West. We're going to make it hard and gritty, and now everything has to be hard and gritty. So now what was Mario's, the tagline on the poster for this movie? It ain't no video game. Yeah, this ain't no game. Because we're dark and gritty. Like the Ninja Turtle one. Ninja Turtles, the tagline for the first Turtles was, this ain't no cartoon. Well, that's fine because you're doing a live action movie. But what did, what did they do? They didn't make the Turtles into teenage mutant ninja humans. You know? Michael, Michael Bay almost made them aliens. You know what? If you want to make them aliens... Stupid choice, and I would be ranting about it. But are they still alien turtles? Turtle-shaped aliens, I guess. I mean, if they look like turtles, you can say they got an alien origin, and I'm still going to hate it. But at least they're still turtle-looking. You know? Hmm. You don't make, you know, Koopa a... Which, by the way, he has never, ever, ever called... And I realize that, like, King Koopa is one of his names, but, like, it really pisses me off that he has never called Bowser in this movie. Well, at the time, we really didn't... I mean, you he's only he was only ever called Bowser in the instruction book of the video game. In the cartoon, he is just called King Koopa. Yeah, but guess who reads the instruction book of video game? <laughs> <laughs> It really annoyed me that he was never called Bowser in the movie. Because I was like, who? Did they make up a new villain for this for this movie? Because honestly, I was just used to calling him Bowser. And I was like, who's King Koopa? <laughs> this, is, this is weird because you have someone who knows mostly the video game and one that mostly knows the cartoon. So. Yeah, <laughs> so I was a little, I was a little annoyed by that because, like, I knew the Goombas and I knew Toad and I knew, <laughs> knew like about Daisy and, like, and like, I knew. Like, like, there's a couple of references here and there, like, like when they're in the 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 um the trash dump and one of the trash men is wearing this mask and they put the plunger on his face and they pop it out. It kind of looks like a shy guy mask. Yeah. And I and I liked that there were there were, you know, clubs and stuff when they first get to Bowser's world, King Koopa's world or whatever, that, you know, their name like Thwomp and Bullet Bills and stuff, you know. Mm. Like those are cool. I like Easter eggs like that. But 
it feels to me because our good friend Adam, shout out to Adam. I was mentioning that we were doing this movie and he I said, this movie is a lot longer than I remember. Because it just seemed to go on and on and on while we were watching it. Yeah, this um, is like a two-hour movie. Which, at the time, was a bit unusual. Like, for the fact that it's at two hours instead of, like, 90 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, which was more common in the 90s. Like, now movies seem to go on forever. Three, but in the 90s, yeah, yeah, but in the 90s, it was more common for it to be like, you know, 97 minutes or something, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was watching it. And I was like, this movie just keeps going and it feels like so much of this is unnecessary. And Adam said to me. It's amazing how much world building they did, like they spend a lot of time just explaining the world they're in. And I thought about it and I said. Well, they have to explain what world they're in because this is not a world any Mario fan would recognize. They used all the names from Mario, but they all mean different things. Like we get Toad, played by Mojo Nixon. And he's just a a human dude. And then he gets turned into a Goomba. He's not a mushroom person. Which is not a mushroom. None of the Goombas are mushrooms. They're lizard things with tiny heads. And some of them are dinosaur things with tiny heads. Yeah, different types of dinosaurs and de-evolution. But we also get world building from Toad that, you know... Granted, it's a lot of the world building that, building that we got from the narrator, played by Homer Simpson himself, Dan Castellaneta. 65 million years ago, the meteorite crashed into Earth, and it split Earth into two different dimensions. One where, one where mammals evolved into humans, and another where lizards evolved into humans. So I guess all of the apes went extinct? Like, all of the mammals went extinct in their world? Possibly. And, but but that's just weird, because, like, dinosaurs, like, the the megafauna dinosaurs went extinct, possibly due to the meteorite. Like, that's the going theory. Mm -hmm. Possibly due to the meteor. So like the megafauna, uh, the the megafauna, uh, the megafauna dinosaurs that we think of, you know, the large, you know, T Rexes and Brachiosaurs and all that kind of stuff. This is also before that whole dinosaur had feathers thing. Well, yeah, I mean, this was ninety three, so it's very Jurassic Park era science. They were going on what they knew scientifically at the time. The you know those definitely did go extinct as far as the particular species that were the megafauna, but their descendants just evolved into smaller creatures. 
I mean, considering that the direct descendants of dinosaurs are birds. Which, that idea that, you know, modern, certain species of modern day birds are possibly the descendants of certain dinosaurs was at the time that this movie and Jurassic Park um, were made was still kind of a cutting edge theory in science at the time and was considered by some to even be like crackpot theory um and now it's kind of just more accepted because we know more about it and we have more evidence of it um to the point that we have found fossilized dinosaurs with feathers intact um so it just it makes me wonder like in in the idea of this movie uh would would there have been a split in one dimension where would would certain strains of a different creature have gone extinct and it seems like certain mammalian species just never evolved there and just like you know they they kind of make it sound like you know like well dinosaurs went extinct there it's like well yeah the megafauna ones did but we still have their descendants you know it's like <laughs> so what went extinct there that you still have their descendants except you don't you know mm-hmm. which gives us that infamous you know monkey <laughs> bit from Dennis Hopper. <laughs> the, yeah. The, the thing is, is like, you don't really understand what Koopa's plan is in this. You just know it's bad. Koopa, as in evil. Yeah, Koopa wants to merge the dimensions again. Believing that him and his forces can take over our world and so he can be the unquestioned ruler of reality. That's generally, he wants to meet her at peace, he wants to merge the realms, and he wants to take over our world like he took over the Mushroom Kingdom. Like, to what end? Like... Evil for the sake of evil. Yeah, it's not really... he, He even says he's an evil son of a snake. So it's like, he's evil for the sake of evil, and for some reason a germaphobe. The thing is, is like, I'm pretty sure that since this whole thing is set in New York, that's supposed to be the orange guy, isn't it? I assume so. Like, 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 like he, he lives, just he lives in, in a 20- giant tower in the middle of Dino Hatton, and he's got the blonde hair, and he's a germaphobe. That's just another New Yorker in the 90s making fun of the orange dude who lives in the tower with his name on it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, people think he just all of a sudden popped up in 2016. No, people have been having problems with him in New York since the, since the 70s. I mean, this is not the first, like, sci-fi movie to have a villain based on him. Like, Hollywood's been warning y'all about this guy for a while. Y'all just weren't paying attention. 
the thing is, is like his his plan is is not really that fleshed out in this, other than like merge the world, de evolve some things. Question mark profit. Profit, yeah. Yeah, is. It's not really that, and it's probably it probably comes from the fact that they had to piece this movie together from hours of random stuff that was shot with a daily changing script. Yeah, the fact that they were able to make a coherent film out of changing of a, out of this movie of directors who were changing the script daily. That's a miracle in itself, yeah. This movie was legitimately made in editing. Uh, um, no lie, it it seems that once everybody kind of got sick of this and ran out of time and money and walked away from the project. Once they kicked out the two directors that were changing everything on the fly. Yeah, they were supposed to to shoot for 10 weeks I think it was they ended up shooting for 15 which is wildly over schedule for a film if you don't know um they went massively over budget they did like you said some reshoots because they didn't do enough action scenes which was kind of the point of this movie it's the only reason John Leguizamo signed on is because he wanted to do action stuff. And then they didn't shoot enough action scenes. And the ones they did were so horribly planned out that people kept getting injured, including Bob Hoskins. Who, I was going to mention that. I was going to yeah, mention that. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, the one of the scenes, I believe it is the scene right at the beginning of the movie with Luigi driving the plumbing car that uh, Bob Hoskins actually breaks his hand while John Leguizamo is driving. And there are actually scenes in the movie where you can actually see a cast on his hand. Yeah, they could. He had to wear a cast for most of the filming of the movie, and they could not, like, edit around that well enough so you can still see it at parts of the movie. They could have written it. I mean, we've seen situations where actors are injured on set and they write it into the movie. Like, um... I hate bringing it up, but the Transformers movie where Shia LaBeouf breaks his hand in during the middle of shooting and they write it into the movie that he breaks his hand and he's wearing a cast for the rest of the movie. Yeah. I'm not saying that there are not just, you know, horrible tragedies where stunts can go wrong. But if you're doing your job correctly on set, especially if you're doing it with your on-screen actors you know i mean that's that's why stunt people are there to take on the stuff that is extra risky and you can't do you know you can't eliminate all of that risk you know mm-hmm. it's like pe- people should not be getting hurt like that especially not your actual on-camera actors I mean, like there, there, there are procedures and rules in place for a reason. Come on, people. I mean, it's probably why these two directors didn't get a lot of work after this movie came out because of that. They were kind of labeled as dangerous. 
I mean, my 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 directing has been solely limited to the stage, but you know, even even my stuff is like if if my actors get so much as a splinter on on a project I'm working on, I I would feel so horrible and like what went wrong there like and you know the oh fact my goodness that, and the fact that this movie did was so bad and did so bad that nintendo flat out refused to make a movie of any of their own properties for decades really until like detective pikachu yeah and, and it's probably why th th they would only allow it to be animated <laughs> Probably <laughs> after uh, as far as the Mario stuff, you know, yeah. um, Detective Pikachu is a, a bit of a different thing, you know, because that and I think trusting Ryan Reynolds with that is OK, because, you know, after you see what what uh, comes out of Deadpool, you know. Yeah. Um, and uh, now that I say that. Yeah. One of the actors that was up for Mario for this movie was Danny DeVito. If I had a nickel for every Nintendo character that people wanted Danny DeVito to play, I'd have two nickels, which is not a lot. But it's strange that it almost happened twice. Yeah. Also, it's strange. Also, if I had a nickel for every John Leguizamo movie that featured a cover of Walk the Dinosaur, I'd have two nickels. Which isn't a lot, but it's strange that it happened twice. Yeah. The other, of course, being Ice Age. So, yeah. Of course. John, Le John Leguizamo does a lot of movies with dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least two, which At is not two. a lot. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I. the thing is, is that I'm, I'm still... I, I'm just baffled by the various choices made in this it really is just to me i've never understood and we talked about this before with you know most recently with fantastic four but we we keep talking about it when we get to these films is like why would you want to make a movie where you don't want to make that movie like i understand the draw for people recognize this property and they might give us money because they recognize the property i get that as a as a thing okay however if you if you go to Nintendo and you say we want to make a Mario movie, but we don't want it to be anything like Mario or appeal to anyone who watches who would play Mario or watch the Mario cartoon or you know is a fan of Captain Lou <laughs> like mm. what what is the appeal there for Nintendo to say, yeah, you seem like the right people to make this movie? But again, that was this is the kind of that was what Nintendo wanted. They wanted a more quote adult movie that appealed to a wider audience. And if they had just said we're going to make a Mario movie that is true to the video games and 
will please the fans of the video games and the cartoons and, you know, whatever. Just make a good movie and the audience will come. And that's that's what we're seeing now with this new movie is like. I've heard a lot of people say like, okay, it's it's not the greatest plot in the world, but it's a Mario movie and that's what I wanted. Here's money. And at the time of recording, it has made a lot of money. The perfect advertisement for Universal Super Mario World, though. Go to Super Mario World. And now you've seen the movie, go to the theme park. <laughs> and you know what? If that's if that's what they want, that's it's fine. Yeah, I mean, fine. you know, as as much as I don't like it, we still live in capitalism. So if they if they want to, you know, make the money off of it with the tie-in, it's better than having the bomb like walk underneath a grate and on the bottom of its feet it says Reebok product placement which is what this movie did mm-hmm. which is uh, the weirdest thing I think I've ever seen in a apparently, movie yeah, apparently, apparently alternate universe dino dinotopia has Reebok and apparently Pepsi yeah I mean, I'm, I can kind of see how Pepsi would make it over there. I don't know why, but I, I can believe that. Why the b- bomb, which is the slowest moving thing. This is the bizarre thing to me about that product placement. You're Reebok. You're a sports sneaker company. And you go, we want product placement. Please put our logo on the slowest moving thing in the film. Because that's going to sell your running shoe. Sell it. Put the Reebok logo on the jump boots. Yeah, that's where you put it. Like, hey, you want to go fast? You want to jump like a basketball player? Reebok. Don't put it on the tiny little wind-up toy. That takes 15 minutes to make it to the bad guy. Can you imagine the commercials that would have aired with potentially Bob Hoskins and Leguizamo putting on the Reebok jump shoes? Do you want to jump high like Super Mario? Buy Reebok! Yeah, that's a commercial, not... A, not the bottom of the bomb foot on the grate. Like, that has got to be one of the worst product placements in movie history. Oh, just, just, I laughed. So I had forgotten that was in the movie. So that was possibly the biggest laugh for me watching the And, and the I think that was the again. point. I think that was the point. It's, it was supposed to be a joke. Well, well yeah, Bebop- but, but a, a joke in a product placement is still supposed to make you buy the product, not make you think the product is a joke. Yeah. yeah. Like the product placement of the flame broiled Whopper sign that we talked about in the fantastic four last week, that's a joke, but it's still a joke about how Whoppers are flame broiled and tasty. It still makes you go like, yeah, but that flame boiled whopper really hits the spot, though. <laughs> it's not a joke that like, yeah, whoppers are burnt to a crisp and don't taste that good. Like, this is a joke about like, yeah, you're right. Reeboks are kind of like crap shoes compared to Nike, aren't they? 
which yeah. is kind of how this comes off. <laughs> and I'm not saying because I don't give a crap about sneakers either way. Like, I'm not sneaker culture. I don't have a feeling one way or the other about Nike versus Reebok. But that's kind of how this comes off. It it comes off as though the movie is making fun of Reebok instead yeah. of this is product placement, which I'm sure it was since they're using the real logo. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's it, and it takes so long for that babam. Jo- they're building to that babam joke the entire movie. Yeah, he want you know Luigi gets the bomb from the fungus. Mario takes it out. Everyone's running. Babam! Run! Babam! But Winds they it. built for that babam joke since like the second act of the film or whatever when they get to the Mushroom Kingdom. Yeah. Like you've been waiting for that. that you know that's Chekhov's babam for most of the movie. And so you're like, yeah, we're gonna watch this babam go off eventually. It's gonna be part of the finale. And then they put that joke in there, and you're like, you don't even get to enjoy the the climax of the film because you're like, Reebok, really? What? What? And then like, Koopa is flying through the air, and you're still going, did did he have Reebok written on his little wind up feet? Why was that there? <laughs> and Nick, like, you want to talk about product placement? The de-evolution gun being the super scope from the SNES. Yeah, that was... I don't know how to feel about that. Because at one part, like, at least it's Nintendo brand. But also it's like... Okay, now I'm using this for evil. I mean, it's a Nintendo product. It's like, again, it's the power glove in the wizard. It's just only it's now used as a weapon to de-evolve people. Yeah. I mean, there is that one thing of he could have made everybody smarter. Like he does to Iggy and Spike. Yeah, which is weird because he he supposedly makes them geniuses, but all they do is use big words in a way that is not really that intelligent. It's just thesaurus yeah and why didn't he do it on himself because he's there's that one moment where luigi and mario push him into the evolution machine and he's still human like but now he can have that he has reptilian eyes and his tongue wags out and his face sometimes morphs why not go back into the machine and turn yourself normal or smarter or whatever yeah, I mean, that's how dumb his plan is. He has a machine that can make you a super genius, and he doesn't use it on himself. Because he's already a super genius. He is the smartest of geniuses. Bigly, bigly brain he's got. Yeah, that's... Oh, that's God, he really how, is the orange man. Yeah, I told you. I told you. He's That's how, like, weird and, and awful this move, this movie is as far as the villain plan is that... There's so many better plans he could be using this for. All right, so I I, I, I want to put this out here. Iggy and Spike, I believe those are two names of the Koopa kids, but in this movie, they're his cousins. Who also, for some reason, are 
secretly part of a resistance against Koopa? I don't think they are legitimately until he turns against them and puts them in the machine. And even though he uses it to make them smarter, which I think also makes them realize like, oh, hey, we're the baddies and we shouldn't be the baddies. I think they're legitimately working for him and are like, yay, bad guy until that moment in the machine. Yeah, but there's this one. Now, granted, this could just be their their ad living, but they say that they've always been a supporter of Daisy's father. I've always like they, just thought that was a lie because they're just trying to get on her good side. Trying to get on the winning side? Yeah. Like, I don't buy a minute of it until they're in that machine and then they start to have a change of heart. I had forgotten that this movie has a post credit scene. Oh, yeah. So there's a very funny post credit scene where you see two Japanese men say from Nintendo saying... We want to make a video game based on your adventure, and you think it's going to be Mario and Luigi. But they turn around, the camera turns, and it's Iggy and Spike. And they come up with the name The Super Koopa Cousins. Yeah. I'm kind of mad there wasn't even a joke game based on the movie. For the Super Koopa Cousins. Yeah. Because that would have been funny. <laughs> the thing is though. Is that like. It was. It's so. It's so baffling. There. Are. So many things. They keep putting in. Like. There are plumbing rivals to Mario and Luigi back in the real world. The Scapelli Corporation. Yeah. Who who also apparently are construction co- the construction company that is making the building that is interrupting Daisy's uh, excavation. Yeah, she's like a paleontologist or something. And mm-hmm. Then, like, we get a weird Lance Henriksen cameo for two seconds. That As he the was king, the, yeah. the the fungus king the, the whole time. Um, and I really like the the woman who played Big Bertha. Yeah, in the game she's fish. In the movie she is a large black woman. Who is apparently the bouncer at Bullet Bills. Yeah. I, I I'm mean, okay with it. I'm okay with that. That was kind of the one change that I was like, well, if you're going to make everybody, you know. A person. A person. I guess that's okay. If this movie had been made just a few years later, would this have been Queen Latifah? I mean, probably. Francesca Roberts, who uh, did the, the role here. Was in a a couple of sitcoms back in the 90s. Uh, And. She's she's still kind of been doing stuff, but she's kind of been like, uh, hey, it's her kind of actress, you know. Mm. 
So she she never really hit the mainstream. So if you recognize her, it's it's either because you watched um the uh she was in one that I think was called like Frank's Place just before this that didn't last very long. It was only like one season. She um, did a TV sh- she did a, a ripoff sitcom of Look Who's Talking called Baby Talk. Yeah, that was also right around this time and only lasted for one season. So she was in like a main role in like two failed TV shows right at the time she was cast in this. Most people in our generation remember her from this. And then she kept showing up as just a guest actress on TV. Um, And I don't know if she's still working, but I seen her around in some things like she showed up in um like it's always sunny in philadelphia mm-hmm. like a few years back in one of the earlier seasons but she she may have retired uh since then but the uh the thing is is that i it was one of the few things that I was like, well, if you're going to make all these people into human characters, I kind of liked that one better than I liked um, a lot of the other ones. Like, I really, not that I have anything against Mojo Nixon specifically, I guess, when they used him here, but just, I don't know, Toad being this kind of weird hippie singer resistance singer you know he's kind of like just like yeah he's just kind of like a a street busker that's just kind of out there singing you know anti-government songs songs. (laughs) yeah um which is kind of cool because he's the only character that on the um the mushroom kingdom side that seems to keep a consistent character the whole time Everybody else either switches sides, like when Mario shows up, and they're like, oh, yeah, Mario's here now. We should resist and join Mario. But Mario shows up, and Toad's already like, we should push Koopa out of the tower and take back our society. (laughs) (laughs) Even as a Goomba. And there's no reason for them to put the harmonica on Goomba Toad other than... To let the audience know, oh, this is Toad. Remember Toad? Yeah, because they all look exactly alike. They have two forms, which is either the elongated dino head or the weird roundish lizardy head. I don't even know what that other one is. Mm. But yeah, it's all the all the Goomba voices and the Yoshi voices. That's our old friend Frank Walker. An actual voice actor. <laughs> Yay! We got two Frank... voice actors in this movie. Because if you need an animal voice, you call Frank Welker. Yeah. I mean, and... it's ju- the Goomba's voice is it's just Doctor Claw. Yeah, it's just Doctor Claw doctor. speaking gibberish. Because they I don't mean... actually say words really. 
most of what they say to each other is just gibberish. The the, clo- the only words we hear a Goomba say is ten hut <clears throat> when they're dancing in the in the elevator. Yeah. But they they kind of talk to each other and it's just kind of random. <laughs> yeah, noises. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the thing is like Toad is the is the only one that keeps his personality. Everybody else just seems to devolve into like like Koopa says, like, you know, faithful little servants to his reign or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Toad is like, no, I hated that guy before. I hate the guy now. Like, you want some steamed I mean, that, vegetables? Here you go. Like, when Koopa is destroyed, is de-evolved into Sludge, we see the king re-evolved into his human form. We We never see that for the Goombas. Do the Goombas yeah, just say Goombas? I, I hope somebody took the gun and, like, put them back into their humanoid form. Put them back in the machine, evolve them, and then make them normal again. Yeah. But we never see that. All we get is, like, Toad with playing his harmonica. But... And, and we, never, will... we never know what, what or if Yoshi was different. All we get is that he was the royal pet. But if everyone was evolved from dinosaurs, is this a situation of a person having a pet monkey and they just had a pet dinosaur? Because we do still see dinosaur creatures. They're like, instead of having, it's like, like New York is known for having rats. The dino New York has little, little raptors. Yeah, they're they're kind of like compies. Yeah. Yeah, they're just wandering around eating trash and stuff. And it seems that most of them you know, most of the street food is some form of lizard or or something. Lizard eating um, lizards. Yeah, but yeah, we don't actually know if Yoshi was a different type of creature before Koopa took over. Just, yeah. That's all we get is that Koopa says he was the royal pet. That's all we get. I will say this, though. If this was not a Mario movie and this was just a person getting transported into a dystopian alternate universe... This might not be so bad. It may not have had the blast back that it had, that it did get back then. Now, nowadays, it's kind of seen as a cult classic. I consider it myself a guilty pleasure movie. But, you know, as a Mario movie, as a movie based off the Super Mario Brothers video games, no, this is horrible. This is not a great adaptation at all. But as a sci-fi movie as a dystopian future kind of thing. I've seen worse. Yeah. I mean, if, if you were to just say, this is a movie about two random guys who get sucked into some random dino dimension and have to do stuff. 
to get home. Then, yeah, okay. It's a goofy film. I might be nominating it for, you know, next season of Mystery Science Theater or something, you know? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, you're right. It's definitely not the worst movie I've seen. However, their job was not to create an original movie with an original setting. Their job was to adapt the Super Mario Brothers video game. And they did not do that except they took the names of things and slapped them on random things in their brand new world they created. It's like, if you were to... Okay, I have never personally sat down and played a Legend of Zelda game. I've seen other people play them. I know tiny, tiny little bits about the story, but not enough that I could write a faithful adaptation of it. If you were to hire me to do that now, and I was just like, okay, I'm going to create a movie about a guy named Link who goes into a magical hole in Arizona and comes out the other side into a Game of Thrones world where he has to fight an evil octopus named Zelda before he can get home. I don't know if that's the plot of one of those games. Might be. There's been like 700 of them. Maybe I just hit on accidentally the plot of a Legend of Zelda game. I don't know. But probably not. Because I've never played those games. Did I just write a faithful adaptation? You no, tell me. No, not really. No. Oh, yeah, no. probably not. Because I wasn't trying to. I just had an idea about a guy who goes into a hole in Arizona and fights an octopus. And I gave them the names of Link and Zelda. Because I know those are two names from those games. That's what they did with this movie. They knew that there were, like, we have the names of Mario and Luigi and Daisy and Koopa and Goombas and Toad and stuff. And they just gave it to random stuff in their own fictional world that they created. And yeah. that could have been a cool movie otherwise. I don't know. Maybe my Octopus in Arizona movie is really awesome. But I shouldn't tie it to Legend of Zelda. Because then it would be awful yeah. and insulting. So it, to ask the question, does this movie have the magic? Absolutely not. But yeah, I no. still consider it. No, no. But I do kind of consider it a guilty pleasure film of mine. I, I, I really dislike using the term guilty pleasure. I don't think people should feel guilty for their pleasure if their pleasure is not hurting anybody. You know? <laughs> Like, there's nothing about watching or liking this movie that's gonna hurt anybody. Unless you walk up to 
John Leguizamo or something and make him relive his memories of making it. Don't do that. <laughs> like, don't give the poor guy flashbacks. But, you know, sitting down and watching this movie or liking this movie or feeling nostalgic for this movie, that's not a bad thing, you know? And, and like, don't apologize for it, for goodness sake. It's always good to look at things with a critical eye. I love tons of movies that are not great movies. <laughs> we're we're uh, MST3K fans. We know. Yeah, I mean, I some of my favorite movies in the world are just really poorly made, you know. But they were made with love and a genuine attempt at trying to, to make something good. Um, I think the actors certainly wanted to make something good um i don't know what the directors slash writers were trying to make um and some of the earlier scripts i would have loved to have seen because i i really want to know where some of this stuff came from but i'm happy that we seem to have gotten to a place now where at least many properties you know when when studios get a hold of these properties they're at least starting to realize that maybe trying to have more faithful adaptations is a better way to make the money that they desire mm. um you know we still have we still have some issues with that like you know there's there's the whole thing with the witcher you know that's <laughs> that's been going on where apparently the showrunner doesn't understand that maybe people want a faithful adaptation of that you know overall it seems that at least in some form you know Marvel understands that, hey, people want comic booky kind of comic book movies. And, you know, DC's maybe starting to understand that a little bit. I don't know. We'll see what Gunn does with that. But, you know, and at least people who are doing stuff with video games now, they're at least going like, oh, okay, people who like this particular genre of video game want it to look like the particular genre and maybe, you know, follow some of the story of that particular genre or use the characters. I mean, go back to the hubbub over the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. How yeah. fans, you know, they, 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 they you know. Maybe don't fans... redesign Sonic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, we we don't we don't want Sonic to have you know weirdly human looking teeth, uh, but yeah, I mean there are there are certain certain things you can get away with changing, but maybe when people are like, oh, I like that thing, maybe they really do mean we like that specific thing. Just give us that, but in a big budget studio setting so in in news of the good though it has come out on the day we're recording this that the uh super mario brothers theme song is the first video game tune recognized by the library of congress hmm. 
Cool. So uh, it's being put in the Library of Congress to be held as culturally significant and be preserved uh, along with their, you know, catalog of uh, other audio recordings. So, yeah. So let's move on to next week, Kiki. It is once again time to get back into the TARDIS as we are continuing our 60th anniversary retrospective on Doctor Who with the fifth Doctor, the youngest actor to play the Doctor in the classic series, Peter Davison. So, yep, get your cricket outfit on, get your decorative vegetable. It will not be celery. I cannot abide the smell of celery. So, yeah, so get all of that, and uh, we will be talking about The Fifth Doctor next week. And come back for that, and we will talk to you all next time. Bye! Bye! Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And, of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at ACLU.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.